Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchuk here alongside Stephen Trinkwald, and it is that time of year again. We are beginning our 2023 WNBA season outlooks, starting with the defending champion, Las Vegas Aces. Yep, we are trying to hit the teams that I think have the most certainty around them, Eric, and I think the Aces are certainly one of those teams who don't have too many uh, too many remaining question marks heading into the season. So, Like they've got one draft pick, and it's literally the last pick in the draft. So. Yeah, don't think they will be factoring too much into the roster, but hey, we've been surprised before. Uh, the Aces last year in 2022, they were 26-10, and 10, tied for the best record in the league, and were the number one overall seed going into the playoffs. They had a 7.7 net rating, Eric, uh, second overall behind the Connecticut Sun in the regular season. They were first in offense by almost a four full points per 100 possessions, 109.6 offensive rating, just a monster number. Middle of the pack defensively, 102 defensive rating. That was sixth in the league. As I mentioned, they were the overall number one seed in the, the new playoff format, Eric, without any of the, the buys. So they uh, had a first round series in which they handled the Phoenix Mercury pretty easily. They defeated the four seed Storm in a, a very entertaining four-game series and went on to defeat the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA Finals in four games to win their first title. This was the best team in the WNBA. You know, they were tied for the best record in the league, and actually it's kind of surprising looking back. I forgot they didn't actually have the best net rating in the league, but looking back on it, uh, the Aces title run last year seemed pretty inevitable, didn't it? It did, yeah. And to me, it was, you know, I, I guess... You know, if things didn't go perfectly, you could see maybe Chicago beating them. You could see uh, Seattle if everything kind of clicked for them. But definitely felt like they were the favorites heading into the playoffs, I think. And what's interesting about this Aces team compared to previous seasons is their roster didn't look a lot different than it was in 2021, 2020, 2019. They, they had largely the same core of players, but they had a new head coach, Becky Hammond, and she brought about a a culture change, a, certainly a, a change in offensive philosophy, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, definitely an overall change in, in shot diet, uh, not just kind of where the shots were coming from, but the types of, of you know plays that they were running, the types of offense they were kind of looking for. Under Bill Lambier, of course, like this is a team that was always putting pressure at the rim. Like they were routinely in the top four in terms of the proportion of their shots coming in the restricted area, uh, top in the league of, in like the worst shots as well. Like a lot of, a lot of long twos. Which, you know, surprisingly, they, they kind of still took to, took a lot of jump shots. Like, for as as much as their offense changed, the the super long twos, you know, 17 feet it out, that was not really kind of where their shots were coming from. But they were second in the league under Becky Hammond in shots 6 to 10 feet and second in the league in shots 11 to 15 feet. So I think it really speaks to this team, just incredible shot making that they got so much of their offense in the kind of short and medium mid-range space, and we're still able to uh, be the best offense in the league, as as they perpetually have been, really, um, with this core of, of players. You know, the, the Asia Wilson era, the last few years, they've been just monsters offensively. And to me, the, the kind of overall philosophy shift was twofold. It was empowering the guards more, having the, the offense run through Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum, and, and to some degree, Jackie Young, but really just letting those two players drive what was going to be an effective offense. And as a result of that, creating better opportunities and a better ecosystem for Asia Wilson. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? Definitely more than fair. Uh, this is a very good example of what I'd call a modernization of a WNBA offense. And before I go any further, I just want to say, if you haven't listened to this show before, we have been pretty complimentary of Bill Lambeer in the past, at least as he was coaching the Aces. They were a good team under Bill Lambeer. They were a great team under Bill Lambeer. Um, he's, he's caught a lot of flack, you know, in the WNBA community for his somewhat antiquated offensive, uh, concepts, but the results pretty much spoke for themselves in that three or four year period. But it is the, the contrast in, in offensive philosophy under Becky Hammond versus that under Bill Lambeer was very stark. Uh, you know, Bill Lambeer loved his post-ups. They went from 16% of their possessions to under 5% of their possessions posting up, Stephen. Yeah, it was their their number one play type under Bill Lambeer. And, you know, that makes sense. They had Asia Wilson. They had Liz, Liz Cambage. And just to kind of speak to Bill Lambeer versus Becky Hammond, you know, it really did kind of feel like it was, you know, this is definitely oversimplifying it. And, and I apologize for that. But 
it, it really seemed like Bill Lambeer was kind of like regular season formulaic, like no matter what the kind of pieces around, like they were going to kind of do the same thing no matter what. And Becky, it does kind of feel like she's, you know, coaching to her player strengths a little bit, a, a little bit more to kind of adapt to what she has on the roster and not sort of, you know, just make players into Bill Lambeer players, right? Like they're, they're which I would call good coaching. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely meant as a compliment. So, so what were they doing? They were definitely running more pick and roll. They were, there was more floor spacing, like a much more, like you said, modern, more spot up plays, more players just standing behind the three point line and ready to fire away. You know, it was a little bit of a, a meme over the last few years that, you know, how far and away, like the Bill Lambeer version of this team was last in three point attempt rate by such a, a wide, wide margin. And they were fourth last year. So I, I think, you know, one thing that we always talk about, Eric, or, or we have over the course of the show, like this was also not like the 2020 Liberty, right? They were not just like jacking up terrible threes. You know, no. they, they, they were searching for good shots and they had good shot makers and good shot creators. So, you know, while they definitely modernized their offense, like they weren't putting up like a 45% three-point attempt rate. You know, they were still within the bounds of like a regular basketball team <laughs> um as opposed to the other side of it you know bill lambeer when it was around like a 16 percent three-point attempt rate or whatever it was but you know they were they were still getting to the rim at a pretty decent amount they were still getting to the line as this team always is going to when they have asia wilson and to a lesser extent you know jackie and kelsey plum and stuff like that so but you know as we mentioned it, it wasn't all kind of at the rim shots under bill lambeer 2021 as a team this team took more non-paint twos than shots in the restricted area which is just kind of amazing to think about when a team has Liz Cambage and, and Asia Wilson and like you said they were playing you know 16% of their possessions were coming from the post it was the number one thing they wanted to do but any other time basically it was kind of a mid-range jump shot and yeah that and that's not modern offense no it's not and you know we saw it in a few of their players this year. You know, Asia Wilson started taking threes. Jackie Young started taking threes. Uh, and they both did it pretty well. And, you know, like I said, they they still took a decent amount of shots in the mid-range, as, as basically all good teams are going to do, because they have just elite creators. But, you know, it was a much more balanced floor throughout the season. Okay, so you mentioned Asia Wilson. You mentioned Jackie Young. You mentioned Kelsey Plum. You mentioned Chelsea Gray. Those four players, and, and you could argue that, you know, D.R.K. Hamby is a fifth player, I think it's little argument that that top end talent was the best in the WNBA. And it's basically what carried the aces to that title last season. You know, we know what Asia Wilson does. We know how great of a player she is. She won MVP once again for good reason. But it's those other players who their games were adapted around her. They were kind of optimized. And I would like to start with Jackie Young, Stephen, because she had one of the most interesting single season jumps i've seen from a wnba player yeah i i I mean it really was amazing that basically three of their best four players had easily the best season of their careers i think in their title season and the fourth player chelsea gray had you know maybe the best stretch of of, of any player that we've ever seen in the playoffs just an, an unbelievable run and i think the biggest change definitely was jackie young you know she was an extremely good regular season player in 2021 um, and you know, 2020, like it's been incremental growths before this kind of huge transformation in her game. And I think, you know, this is obviously another oversimplification, but she was in a lot of ways, like the same, very good player that she was, but now she was taking threes and taking them with pretty good frequency and canning them at an, an unreal clip. Maybe it's a little bit of, a little bit of an oversimplification, uh, but because you really never see that, you never see that. It's not like it was even a a gradual year-by-year improvement, right? She went literally from being a player who was ignored from beyond the perimeter for several seasons to being a player who is knocking down 40% of her threes on good volume. And, you know, it's not just spotting up in the corner and waiting for the kickout. She was hitting them in a pick and roll when defenders were rightfully going underneath the screen. Um, I've never seen that before in the WNBA, where a player just pulls a three-point shot out of nowhere. And it really opened things up both for her and for this Aces offense in general. Yeah, she made 53s last year and attempted 33 the previous two seasons. Like, it was just not really an element of her game. And, like, that was kind of the one thing sort of missing from Jackie Young. And I think, I wouldn't say she she had a perfect playoffs. I think 
there were still kind of some moments where you you wanted the bad to, habits kind of came back. A yeah, little a little bit, a little bit. It wasn't the same, but you know you could kind of see those things creeping back in. And she didn't play with I think the same assertiveness as she did for a lot of the regular season. But in 2021, uh, her last season under Bill Lambier, she took 60 percent of her field goal attempts as non-paint twos. Eric, that's just an that's an unreal number. That's a lot. That, that went down to 22 percent in 2022 when she obviously. Uh, started firing away from three. She she took and, more shots. And can I say something real quick? Please. Sorry to cut you off, but okay. when we talk about non-paint twos versus threes, it's amazing how much more efficient an offense can be if you just take a step back, take two steps back. When we're saying, oh, this team needs to shoot more threes, it's not saying uh, they need to sacrifice rim attempts in favor of threes. It's they need to sacrifice long twos in favor of threes, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, like we said, they under... The previous coaching staff, like they were routinely number one in those non-paint twos, and you know, they, and they, Jackie Young is still a good non-two uh, for sure non-paint two-point shooter. Forty-eight percent on non-paint twos this season, which is still that's a very very high number. You're not going to see too many players with the type of volume that Jackie Young takes because she still gets to that area a pretty good amount. Like I said, twenty-two percent of her shots in in twenty twenty-two. So to hit that at almost a fifty percent clip is pretty unbelievable. And then, you know, like you said, 40% from three on almost four attempts per 36 minutes. And she did this without her free throw rate taking a hit at all. 4.1 attempts per 36 minutes is a career high by a little bit. And it should also be noted that she was able to get her assist rate back up, not to like the levels of where she was as a rookie when she was basically playing point guard, but they increased from the previous season and she dropped her turnover rate. It was just a really, really impressive campaign for a deserved most improved player. Uh, even though, she, like we said, she was very good in 2021. And the one more thing I want to add to that, she played a career-high 33.2 minutes a game. I say relative to position, she was arguably the second most important player on this team after Asia Wilson because they really didn't have anything behind her. How many games did you see Jackie Young play 35, 36, 30 minutes in a game because they literally had no player they Becky really trusted to play small forward? You maybe have, like, Chelsea Green and Kelsey Plum, obviously both terrific all-star, all-league caliber players, but there's a little bit of overlap there in terms of their, in terms of positions and what they can do offensively. There is nothing behind Jackie Young at all. I mean, yeah, defensively, you know, if you needed to play the three guards together with Plum and Gray and Raquana, like, you could do that, but obviously... She was easily their best perimeter defender. Yeah, she was. And Chelsea Gray, I think, a little bit more of a... I think she's a pretty pretty valuable defensive player, but more in like a team concept, right? She's not guarding individually the way that Jackie Young is guarding. Sure, sure. But should we move on to uh, the, the most valuable player in the league, Eric? Uh, Asia Wilson's 2022 season, the first player since 2007 to win both the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Sixth season in a row, the award went to the team with the best record in the regular season. And Eric, a, a lot of, you know, the surface level numbers, I think, look similar to Asia's career, but this was definitely, in my opinion, her best season in the league so far. First time since 2019, she was in the upper third of the league in true shooting. First time breaking 50% from the field in her career. First time breaking 50% from two. Eric, she went from the 36th percentile in effective field goal percentage in 2021, which was, you know, quietly uh, a bit of a disappointing individual season for Asia, you know, just in terms of her efficiency to the 75th percentile in 2022. So that's um, a huge jump. And much like Jackie Young, she started taking threes, not at the same volume, you know, just under three per 36 minutes, but she attempted uh, 83 threes and she made them at a 35% clip. And to me, based on like everything that Asia Wilson is, is good at and kind of what she can do, like that's a pretty good number, I think. I, I don't know how much higher you really want her three-point attempt rate, but just some yeah, of again, those. I mean, it's not because once again, you don't want her to be sacrificing her her rim attempts because she's maybe the best player in the league at getting the rim and, and drawing those fouls. It's more about taking a few of those mid range jumpers and kind of stretching them out a little bit. Yep, exactly. Uh, and you know, she can still get to the rim in two steps from the three point line. It's not like she's really sacrificing her drive game by stationing herself out from behind the arc. So, I mean, it was a really nice development, but her game did change a little bit just in kind of the way the the offense ran I think in 2021 as we mentioned uh, under Lambeer who we're going to talk about a lot because it was a, a pretty pretty big change so we're not we're not dumping on him or anything it's just a significant change that we need to talk about exactly um 
A third of her possessions came from post-ups, which was by far her most frequent play type. Uh, and, you know, for all of her gifts, you know, she's not Sylvia Fall, She's not Brittany Griner. She's not going to put up 1.2 points per possession on post-ups. So I think we agree, Eric, that she's much more dangerous as a face-up player where she can really use like her explosive first step, her footwork. And once she's gotten by her defender, like she's, she's pretty unstoppable. She's probably going to finish, get to the line, probably end one. So that, that post up uh, number dropped to 14%, less than 14% in 2022. Instead, 20% of her possessions were coming out of pick and roll as a, a pick and roll roller. And I mean, it really worked, you know, a lot of it was her hitting her jump shot at a, a much better clip. Her mid range shot came back around um, for the first time, in a while, she had a 34% effective field goal percentage on pick and pops in 2021, and that jumped up to 43% in 2022, but used more as a roller, uh, attacking the rim more uh, because there was more space and, and less time with just another traditional back-to-the-basket center who was kind of clogging things up. And 20% of her shots came as a, a spot-up player where she, like we said, hit the three effectively, but was also able to attack closeouts and is extremely effective uh, it should be no surprise attacking closeouts and getting to the line off attacking closeouts because she's, you know, she's going to be more athletic. She's going to be faster and stronger than whoever's off balance trying to recover on those. Yeah, it's just a better use of her talents. Um, and, and post-ups, they're slow developing plays. Uh, they give the defense time to load up and make a decision. When you are guarding a pick and roll against Asia Wilson, there, there's no time to react. Or when you're guarding Asia Wilson spotting up because she can't hit the mid-range jumper. And of course, she's going to blow by most defenders and, and finish through, over, around, however you want to put it, against anyone else. So, yeah, I think it's just a better use of her, her talents, her athleticism, really emphasizes what she's good at. Speaking of which, I think the other big improvement in Asia's game last year was she got out in transition way more in 2022. 83 total possessions in transition last season, up from 36 the year before. The 12.6% of her possessions coming from transition last year was a career high by a significant margin. She had not cracked 10% previously and she was up to 12 and a half last year. So, I mean, bigs that run transition are, are just going to be super deadly in that area of the game because, you know, they're probably not the ones running the break, but they're, they're going to be able to finish. They're going to draw falls and to see her embrace that element of her game. Like that's always been something that she's been good at, but not quite to the level that she was last season where it, Which it really kind of, you know, it's interesting it. you bring that up, Steven. It's interesting you bring that up because under Lambeer, they were routinely a very fast-paced team as well. Yeah, and I think it was just kind of more playing through the guards and, and Hamby. And, you know, Asia did it sometimes, but it just was not to this level. And, you know, I don't think it's any surprise, Eric, that the two best players in the game are bigs who get out in transition. You know, it's, yeah. it yeah. really makes things a lot easier for your team, as we talk about a lot. It's yeah, very like efficient it. when you get out there. You know, she, she was able to decrease significantly the number of her shots coming as non-paint twos, but... You know, it should be also noted that she just hit them a lot better, like 45% shooting from that non-paint two area up from 29% the previous season. So, you know, there's probably a little bit of shooting luck maybe in either direction, but I personally think she's a lot closer to a 45%, you know, mid-range shooter than a 29%, even if it's, you know, 43 sure. or so. So, um, and then obviously, you know, whenever she gets into the restricted area, she, she's going to be extremely good at it. Uh, and it just continues getting better and better. And I think with this uh, new roster construction, Eric, we're, we're going to continue to see her just absolutely feasting inside when she's getting those chances. One thing I wanted to know, uh, note about Wilson's development last season is that you remember they started by playing her at the five for a lot of her minutes last season. And then they kind of went away from that. Do you think that had any impact on her kind of getting out in transition a little bit because she was early on, at least she was matched up against centers rather than power forwards. Uh, so do you think her playing center, like which position do you think is more advantageous for her to get out in transition? Honestly, I think center. Like I, I love seeing her play at center, but that's something they kind of got away from. And I mean, I'm not arguing with the results or anything like that. I just thought it was interesting how they started with it. And then they kind of got away from it. Like maybe it was for defensive purposes, they, they would rather have, you know, Stokes in there at the five. But I thought it was a, a interesting adjustment. Yeah, that is, I guess, we'll, we'll see a lot more of it now that she will be probably playing heavy minutes at power forward again with all yeah, the, yeah. a much different type of center than previously. I did want to talk about Kelsey Plum, Eric, before we move on to what we're going to be looking at this season. You know, for the second season in a row, we're talking about her coming off the best season of her career. You know, came back from the Achilles in 2021, had a really good season as a bench player but 
she was just unbelievable her second year coming off this injury and as a full-time starter now not coming off the bench it's good when you um start and finish with your best players eric i would say yeah i i tend to agree with that statement this is kind of the kelsey plum and i agree with you last season she was amazing i thought last season she had a good case for most improved player but i digress this is the kelsey plum that i think everyone has really been waiting to see coming out of college after that very illustrious career at washington she was one of the best offensive players in basketball full stop and with a forward-thinking head coach who really emphasized you know hey we're we are shooting threes we are putting the ball in your hands a lot we're not you know last year she was very effective as kind of that spark plug off the bench kind of heading up that second unit that was perhaps a little offensively challenged without her this year you know hammond put her in there with the starters and she's what really made this starting five an offensive juggernaut because she is so good at creating her own shot she's so good at getting to the rim off the dribble and those those step back threes steven those were nice i mean there's not really any other player that i can think of that like reliably takes step back threes like that at high volume i mean when you talk about kind of guard empowerment like kelsey plum is the player who i felt like was really empowered the most to kind of do her thing i think under becky hammond you know jackie kind of had to change her game a little bit asia changed her game a little bit kelsey plum it feels like finally just like you know, got to do the things that we kind of, like you said, we're expecting a little bit more from her uh, coming out of college. Eric, she was the only player in the league last year to score 20 points a game on 60% true shooting. So, you know, when you, good. when you even consider that efficiency is usually a little bit lower for guards, there are not a lot of 60% true shooting guards in the league at all for her to score 20 a game on that type of efficiency. Second in the league overall in points per game behind Brianna Stewart. Her... 50% three-point attempt rate was a huge jump from 2021. You know, obviously she's always been a player that like took some threes, took spot ups. Like you said, she can she can spot up and she can attack the dribble. Her off the dribble three game this year was really, I think, a transformation. 40% on 116 threes off the dribble, Eric. That was 46 makes more than five teams total. <laughs> like, she, she hit more threes off the dribble, more, more than five different teams. So a pretty remarkable efficiency. The ability to hit 40% on that type of volume, like, you know, we're going to get into strengths, weaknesses, what we can expect to kind of be different from this team. Like if, if we saw regression from that number, you, you can't be surprised because that's just unreal shot no. making for, for that high of volume. The other two players with over 100 off the dribble threes last season, Sabrina Ionescu and Enrique Gumbawale, each shot under 30%. So again, for Kelsey Plum to hit 40% on those is just like ridiculous, ridiculous shot making. And she had almost twice as many attempts as the next closest player in volume to make over 35%. So just stuff that we really do not see very often. I think it's safe to say that, you know, we like the job Bill Ambeer did, but I think we'd both agree that Bill Ambeer, this would not happen under Bill Ambeer. No. Just that, the amount of freedom. That's a safe, yeah. The freedom is a great word for it because it really did feel that she could just, she could play the game that she could like wanted to play without fear of being like yanked after a bad shot or a bad turnover or something like that. She, she had a lot more, you know, liberty to kind of play her game. I think. What's that? We always say like, uh, with players who are evaluated passers, how about evaluated shooters? Like, yeah, yeah we'll take some bad shots, but man, they can make some shots too. And that's ultimately going to benefit you more than it hurts you. The other part of her game, Eric, as, as we mentioned, the step back three, 35 step back threes in 2022, up from one in 2021. Granted, this is now we're into WNBA stats logging. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Let the buyer beware. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, uh, another way that Becky was able to just unlock her shooting versatility as well as you know running her more off ball screens like that was not really a huge element of her game previously they they didn't do a ton of that with kelsey plum under lambeer she came off her screens for five percent of her possessions in 2021 and that was basically more than doubled in 2022 and you know she has just really great jump shot versatility catch and shoot off the dribble whether it's on the move or, or stationary she's you know there's not a whole lot of like types of shots that you can kind of get Kelsey Plum that she's not going to be extremely effective at, or at least last year she was extremely effective in in basically each and every category. Um, So, you know, a point and a half points per possession off screens, 1.27 points per possession on no dribble spot ups, 44% from three as a pick and roll ball handler. Like, I think that just really speaks to like, she 
is reaching like Christy Tolliver levels of her shot versatility, but can handle more, can attack the rim more. You know, just, I, I think, a pretty special player that we're seeing here. She raises this team's offensive ceiling so much. Where would you rank Kelsey Plum in terms of purely offensive players, but like best offensive players in the league? Like she's got to be up there, right? I mean, she's got to be within the top five. If this is the player that she really is, even with a little bit of shooting regression, like there's no way there's... Because there are very few players, like you said, who can do what she did last season. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, I maybe, you know, Elena Deladon and the the two bigs that we've talked about in Asian Brianna Stewart. And, you know, then it's probably Kelsey Plum, honestly. And it's it's really that that step back and off the dribble three-point shooting, the shooting that separates her because you've got players like UNESCO, Tarazi can probably still contribute at, at some elite level. But, man, like Skyler the, the shooting display. Yeah, exactly. Skylar Diggins-Smith. But the overall effectiveness and the efficiency, like you said it, how many players can go for 20 points per game on 60-plus true shooting? And, Not many. And Eric, her 19 and ones were the most of any guard in the league. Like yeah, she, she, she can, can get there and finish, too. She can sure. get downhill. She can finish through contact. And maybe the in-between game is kind of the one thing that has always kind of uh, eluded Kelsey Plum. You know, it's not, she's not an elite mid-range player, but when you are canning step-back threes and off-the-dribble threes, you can just take them from further away and not play so much in the mid-range, so. Yeah, uh, and see, and that's, I don't really have a problem with that, with this team anymore, because the floor is so well-spaced. When you talk about Asia Wilson's increase in, in, in offensive efficiency, a lot of that has to do, and this is taking nothing away from Asia herself, but a lot of that has to do with there being three-plus shooters on the floor at any time, you know? Ultimately, the, the system was overhauled to complement Asia Wilson. If she has the space to work, she's going to be an amazing player, even more amazing than, than we're used to seeing. But when you've got Kelsey Plum shooting threes like this, when you've got Jackie Young shooting threes like this, Chelsea Gray is, of course, always a threat to bomb away from distance. I mean, you really can't guard everybody at once. I mean, I, I was kind of going to save this for, for later on the show, but the fact that Kia Stokes was basically ignored throughout the entire playoffs just not guarded, just given free reign to do kind of whatever she could do offensively in the the playoffs and for it to still, like, it just didn't matter. In 99% of situations, that would have been an extreme hindrance to slowing this team down, but they just had four special offensive players and elite offensive players, elite shot makers. And, you know, it was just uh, a very special team, Eric. And we should, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't kind of uh, wrap this up by talking about what Chelsea Gray did to end the season last year. Yeah. Speaking of elite shot making, when we say Chelsea Gray had maybe the best playoff run in WNBA history, that's not being, that's not hyperbole. Like that's not an exaggeration. If it seemed like she was making, making shots at a ridiculous rate, that's because she was um, in 10 playoff games. She shot 61% from the field, 54% from three, for a true shooting of 72.68%. By comparison, that's better than Emma Miesemann in 2019. That's better than Neko Gumake in 2016. That's better than Brittany Griner in 2018. That's better than Brianna Stewart in 2020. Those are all bigs. And Chelsea Gray was basically canning everything off the dribble. 73.7 effective field goal percentage. That's 73.7 effective field goal percentage it's off the dribble jumper. Number. That's ridiculous. Like I said, we've never seen that before. She was, you know, for all the talk about, okay, this is a forward-thinking offensive system. Asia Wilson is the MVP. She's playing the best she's ever played. Jackie Young is the most improved player. Kelsey Plum is probably the second most improved player. How many they possessions now? Like, yeah, how many possessions just ended against the Sun where they played great defense, and Chelsea Gray just hit a ridiculous fall away step back two pointer or three pointer to just ice the possession. And it really, I mean. It felt like it started in the the, the Phoenix series um, that I, to be honest, was not super locked into, but not she, <laughs> she was uh, canning everything. And then in Seattle, it felt like, you know, okay, it's bound to slow down. Like, they have elite defenders. Like, she just, just can't keep this type of shot making up. And she just did. You know, she did. She, yeah. she sent them home. It was more than just the playoffs, though. Like, really starting at the All-Star break, I think, is when she kind of started playing the best basketball of her career, I think it's fair to say. 24 games, over 18 points per game since the All-Star break, including the playoffs. Almost 69% true shooting over 24 games, Eric. Four guard, yes, very nice. Six and a half assists per game for basically a three-month stretch where they went 19 and six in those games. Like, just unreal. Like, you're... We're probably never going to see that level of play again from a guard. Almost 70% true shooting over, 
you know, basically a three month period. You know, this I think this really vaulted Chelsea Gray back into the discussion for best point guard in the game. While it may have been, you know, we can call it shooting luck or whatever. Again, you talk about players who I'm not sure who else can do this. I'm not sure which guards can put up the type of performance that Chelsea Gray did. Right. Like, even you know, if everything goes well, like, who even has this in them? Like, I don't know. Like, because that's the thing, like, her jump shot, like, she, she's she's pretty big for her position. And she's got this kind of weird, kind of awkward looking release that obviously works where you just can't really contest it. And if it's off the dribble, I mean, good luck. And good all, luck. all those shots are fading away. Like, it's just, like you said, it's between the release point and how she gets it off, her, her fade away. Like, it's just. I mean, if she's going to take those shots, like she's either going to make them or miss. There's not really much you're going to have. That's like, true. You know what I mean? Like you have no say in the matter, basically. Okay. Should we, uh, should we move on to 2023? I, th- I think the ACE's success in last year was pretty well documented, right? Yeah. So obviously a big off season for the ACE's, um, you know, in ways that are pretty tough to talk about. We, we've uh, gone through it as best we could in previous episodes, but they obviously, Lost Dierica Hamby, they lost Ileana Rupert, they lost Teresa Plaisance, they brought in Candace Parker, they brought in Alicia Clark, you know, a minimum contract, but I think it's worth noting that they brought in Kayla George as well on a protected minimum. So this team, I think, has has really increased their depth from uh, a team who all we heard about, Eric, was how they didn't have any depth and it didn't matter because the best players win the championship. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, it's looking like the same kind of uh, basic rotation, Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum as your two initiators. You know, those two players would probably stagger. And, you know, I, I would be very surprised if they played heavy minutes without either of them on the court. You know, you're, you're going to see one of them on the court at all times. And then Raquana Williams as kind of your third guard playing alongside them. Um, we've got Alicia Clark now backing up Jackie Young. And then I think a, a pretty interesting, what you call it, position battle, playing time battle for this team's third big roster uh, spot. Bill. Yeah, sure. Um, End of the bench. Roster yeah, spot bill. K- yeah. Kia Stokes and Kayla George playing for what I would imagine is this, who this team's third big is going to be playing alongside one of Asia or, or Candace Parker play probably. So we've got basically uh, eight locks for this roster. Then you're basically looking at three of Kia Stokes and Sydney Colson. They're two holdover vets that they brought back from last year. They're two sophomores, I think, are the other two players that are realistically in the conversation for, you know, these final three spots in Kirsten Bell and Asia Shepard. They did also sign Alexis Peterson and Courtney Range to training camp contracts. And they do, as you mentioned, have the final pick in the WNBA draft. Eric, what what would you be thinking for, I guess, three of Stokes, Colson, Bell, and Shepard? Well, first of all, I think it's pretty funny how we can say, uh, yeah, the Aces signed Candace Parker. That's a that's a great depth piece for them. You know, <laughs> like that just like the rich get richer. But anyway, um, this is interesting because I wasn't at first. I wasn't sure if Raquana Williams would still be on the team. I wasn't sure if they'd be able to finesse that, but I guess they did. Looking at purely from where they were last year, I'm not sure what Kirsten Bell's role on this team would be if she makes the roster. Um, but then again, I'm not sure what Sydney Colson's role on the team is going to be either. So, I, I guess uh, that kind of you know, brings me to the question, like, what what does backup four look like for this team? Are I they, have no clue. Are they going to play Parker alongside Kia Stokes or Kayla George and just play two traditional centers? Uh, are they going to slide Alicia Clark down to four at all and play a little bit smaller? Well, I, we know WNBA teams love carrying more bigs than they need to. I do, I do feel like both Kia Stokes and Kayla George are, are going to make the team. You think so? Uh, yeah. It's I, just so weird. Like, again, I, I, do not, I do not understand why they would make that one year for Kayla George protected. Because she hasn't played in the WNBA in so many years. And in my opinion, she wasn't a very effective player when she did play over here. So why would you protect that contract? I mean, they obviously like something about her. Yeah, I mean, she's she's going to make the team. You know, uh, so I think it was just a little bit of, um, you know, if if I'm, as I've said before, if, if I'm going to make the trip over, I better be making the team. So just protect it. You have the extra protected slot as Candace Parker, you know, was willing to, not make her roster spot protected because, as we know, Eric, WMA teams are allowed six protected veteran spots. I like both of their young players in Kirsten Bell and Asia Shepard. I I would not really want to let either of them go. If this team could carry 12 players, I would really have no problem using a roster spot on 
Sidney Colson, you know, a player who I don't think is really going to contribute on the basketball court for this team this season. She seems like a very good locker room influence, a, a, a very well-liked player in the organization. She's a great social media user. She's She seems great very, on Twitter. very funny. Uh, all three of these other players, I think either now or very soon, you know, you have hopes of them being able to contribute this year in, yeah. in Stokes and Bell and Shepard. And I, I don't really think Sidney Colson is going to contribute on the basketball court. So are you... I honestly think, uh, sorry to cut you off, I honestly think Alexis Peterson would have a better chance of contributing on the basketball court than Sidney Colson. However, she is playing in France right now. And we know that the CBA is not too kind currently to people playing in France. So we'll see. So I think, you know, Bell is an interesting player. You, you mentioned you're not really sure what her role on this team is. I, I just wonder, like, what position do they think Kirsten Bell is? We've talked a little bit before about how, you know, I kind of think she's a power forward and she's playing power forward for AU. She played power forward in Australia. She scored 14 a game in Australia on 56% true shooting, albeit by canning a lot of threes, you know, probably more threes than you could expect her to to hit most of the time and was a little bit disappointing from two over there. But, you know, just from what I've seen from her in Australia and in AU, like to me, she continues to look very good doing power forward things and not very good doing perimeter things. Uh, I know she's a little undersized for that spot, but she's such a good finisher around the rim and such a good roller. You know, that's really kind of her her best offensive role is being used as a play finisher around the basket, not so much creating, not really doing kind of a lot of dribble stuff. Which, well, when you put it that way, I mean, sure she'd have a role on this team because they've got a bunch of really good playmakers, right? Yeah, I guess it's just, do they trust her to hang defensively as a four? Um, I mean, they didn't last year. They didn't last year. Uh, Granted, you know, they they were pretty good last year. Um, And then Asia Shepard, like she's... Yeah, she's on the older side going into her, her second season. She's already 24. She played five seasons in the NCAA, but she you know, has a really, really good track record shooting the basketball, at least on co- in college, over 1,000 attempts, 37%, and just really, really consistent in her career in college. 37% in four of her five seasons or higher, and then 35% in the other. It's not like she was one of those players that had like a you know, one forty-two percent season that really kind of drove up her overall totals. Like she, she was doing it year in and year out. Um, and you, you like the way that she can kind of get open and, and her jump shot versatility as well. Yeah, yeah. Asia Shepard was one of the, my favorite collegiate players to watch over the past couple seasons because what what are the three archetypes of shooters typically among draft? It's it's what movement shooter, off screen shooter, and what is it spot up shooter or standstill shooter or something like that? And then dribble, yeah, sure. And then dribble, yeah. Which, which is uh, Asia Shepard. Asia Shepard is an off-screen shooter. Like, her footwork is very, very good. Um, you can run plays for Asia Shepard to get three-point shots. And, you know, I, I think that's something that just translates to the next level. What I would be concerned about for her is that she's going to be blocked by Raquana Williams, whose role is basically going to be the same thing, but just proven in the WNBA level. I mean, you remember Raquana Williams is the one who basically won the clinching game with the finals for them last year, right? So Shepard is a little small. She's a little small. I'm worried how she would hold up defensively in those minutes that she would play theoretically. And I'm not sure if she can really play the one at all. So that would be my concern. I but mean, I, mean she, I guess she the nice thing the heck is, out of the ball. I guess the nice thing is when you have Chelsea Gray, who is a bigger player for her size, like you can do some different things where, you know, maybe Asia needs to guard ones. Uh, if yeah, not, Chelsea Gray doesn't a, really guard the point guard anyway. Yeah, right? so. if not as a ball handler. And, you know, Jackie Young is also a very versatile defensive wing. So, you know, you can hide Asia Shepard probably as, as you need to, at least in the regular season. I think, you know, it's just what degree of bad defender is she going to be? Is she going to be bad, but you can pass, you know, you can, you can make it with the level of other players you have, uh, the level of good team defenders you have around her, or is it just going to be so untenable that, you know, she can't even really, you know, hang on the, on the floor? You know, when when you put it that way, I mean, Kirsten Bell's not going to be a good defender either. Right, so if if we're basically weighing the two young players against each other, I would have conf- more confidence in Shepard realizing her potential as an off-screen shooter than I would Kirsten Bell realizing her potential of whatever her ideal role is going to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think I would probably agree. Like it seems like Shepard. There's is just, just too much a, ambiguity with Bell right now. Yeah, Shepard is a little bit of a safer bet. You know, you don't have to kind of be funky with lineups around her offensively. At least you, you don't have to you know, play Bell as your power forward and run pick and rolls with her, but you still have to have a center who can kind of anchor your defense and then things maybe get a little 
cramped uh, offensively. Uh, you know, it just makes more intuitive sense, I think, for Shepard. Yeah, Shepard's more malleable. Me- more malleable, and just, you know, she has a for sure WNBA skill, I think, where Kirsten Bell exactly yeah, has some things that you really like, for sure. You know, there there's elements to kind of like about her game, but, you know, it, it's not a shirt. She doesn't have that one thing where you're like, well, she's definitely going to be good doing this in WNBA games against WNBA competition, so... You know, the other player that we should talk about, Kia Stokes, missed a bunch of time and has recently come back. I I think she's worth, as much as we like to make fun of teams, Eric, for using half their spots on centers, basically, you know, I think Stokes is still a player you should hold on to because you just don't really know, as much as Kayla George is, is a star overseas and a star for her international team, you just don't know if it's going to work. And, you know, she's had kind of mixed success as a WNBA player, Granted, it's been a long time, and this will be a better team than her previous teams, you know, particularly the Dallas team, although, you know, she was on some pretty good teams in Phoenix, but... Yeah, those teams are good, yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, George is enough of a question mark, even as, I don't know, a 34-year-old center that Stokes, you know, this this team has been good with Stokes as a second or third big, I guess. What worries me about Kia Stokes is not her game in itself, is that it almost seems like they're using several roster spots on just like legacy roster spots. You know, like you can say, okay, Colson, great locker room experience, great person to have her own, whatever. But then when you bring Kia Stokes back as well, it's kind of like, okay, is was this really an upgrade? Like, did they have to do this? I don't know. The, the, the fact that they're giving a protected contract to George really makes me wonder about Stokes. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and honestly, I would, if it were Because me, neither I- of them, Stephen, neither of them are multi-position defenders either. No, they're not. They're They're both straight defensive centers I, I wonder how George is going to hang defensively in the WNBA this year even you know she'll be surrounded by a good defensive player alongside her in either Asia or Candace Parker but you know she's she's not going to be able to hang that history like she's only gotten older since then and she was not really a defensive dynamo previously so I, I, I'll believe it when I see it yeah she's had a lot of trouble staying on the court and just defending without following even if you're not worried about your player being in the game and who cares if they use six falls because they're not going to play at the end. Like that's still getting the other team in the bonus very quickly. I guess just, is she just like a Teresa Playson's replacement basically. Yeah. I, I think she'll like play. If she plays eight that. minutes a game, she'll shoot three, three pointers. And that's it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, she's, she has a, a very stretched game to her. I, I guess I just, I don't think she's that level of kind of just knock down Teresa plays on. It really, it, it, it really, really stinks that they waved Ilya out of repair. I'll just say that. Well, I mean, she, she asked to be released. I know. It stinks that she had asked yeah. for it. Uh, and I get it. That, you know, they just kind of wanted someone that would contribute the whole season and was a little bit mm-hmm. closer and stuff like that. But Understandable, you know, yeah. George, five and a half fouls per 36 minutes in her, you know, a little over 1,000 WNBA minutes. So, you know, we'll see. I think the shooting, although she has never quite found it in her three seasons in the WNBA, you know, I, I don't worry about her shooting not being... Like, she's done it... A, she has enough of a track record everywhere else that, you know, I think players are going to still respect her shooting from beyond the arc. And that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. That's, that's the reason she's going to be on the floor is to shoot the basketball. And when you get into like, she has been a pretty low volume player in her previous WNBA seasons. And we all know how three point shooting can wax and wane among low volume players, even if they're good shooters. Like if you go over four in a game, it could take you a month to get that shooting percentage back to normal on low volume. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's clear they brought her in for her shooting. I think they'll have no problem just telling her to let it fly. For me, it's just a question of how much is she actually going to be played to to show that skill. I mean, I guess the one thing I'll say about George is, unlike Eliana Ruper, unlike Teresa Plaisance, like if you just throw your small forward on Kayla George, like she's going to score over them. You, you can't yeah, just like true. put that's a true. guard on her and just, you know, oh, well, she's a three-point shooter, so just defend her like a perimeter player. Like she'll she'll punish that. So maybe that is a little bit more of uh, an element that'll fit in for them. Okay, good point. I guess we should hit on their new additions uh, briefly, even though we we talked about them in our free agency episodes. They brought in Candace Parker, Eric, a good player. You might have heard of her. She's decent. Yep. Um, You know, I think it's worth noting, Eric, that Candace Parker, her shots are coming more and more from behind the line. Uh, I don't think Candace Parker, for all of her gifts, is an elite three-point shooter, but She's now at um, 31% on over five attempts per 36 minutes, I guess, in her two Chicago seasons. She'll, no matter what happens, she could miss 100 in a row. She'll get guarded out there more than Kia Stokes or, or Dierka Hamby. But, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting how much kind of uh, perimeter-based she, I mean, she's always been a player that obviously dribbles and, and handles and stuff like that. But she's shooting a lot more threes, I guess. 
there's a couple of things about that. One, she's old. <laughs> there's there's no uh, denying that. That's the and thing. I think, yeah, I think I think a lot of that is. I mean, a lot of it's going to be just to save the wear, wear and tear on her body. And if you've got Asia Wilson on the floor at the same time, you don't want them occupying the same, the same space on the floor. So obviously Parker is going to be out there a little bit more. But also, I mean, Chicago was a very cut-heavy offense, and they were really, really good at it. And a big part of that was Candace Parker. I mean, the dribble handoffs, obviously, the passing from the top of the key, obviously. She just did so much connecting stuff out there. And I don't think it's a detriment to say that Candace Parker is out on the perimeter. She shouldn't be out there. She should be in the post. It's not 2012 anymore, you know? I think she's she signed with this team with the assumption, knowing that this is her role now, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because she's still so darn good at it. Yeah, I wonder, like, just kind of what her, her role in the offense is going to be. Maybe a lot of, obviously, you know, creating uh, or connecting, passing. You know, she's, she's obviously not going to be handling, like, Chelsea Gray or, or Kelsey Plum, but you know, making plays out of the short roll. Um, is she, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a little harder for me to picture her fitting into this offense than, you know, when she was coming over to, to Chicago. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause they were so effective at what they did already last season. So, I mean, Candace Parker is a tremendous player and this is obviously a great problem to have, but you know, it's not like she's going to stretch the floor to 42% from three limits or anything like that. So yeah, that's a good point. And as much as Chicago's offense was a, a cut offense, as you said, she was not the one cutting. And I think this team is missing that cutting element now. I agree. With, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. De'Erica Hamby. I mean, Hamby is, you know, the numbers won't bear it out, but maybe the best cutter in the league, in, in my opinion, when she's healthy. So I I think that's, you know, something to be maybe Asia and Jackie Young. Well, Alicia can, Clark is a pretty good cutter. Alicia Clark is a good cutter. That's a good point. You know, they, they kind of need that element from her and, uh, you know, she... For some of the things that weren't quite there for her last year, you know, I think she was still a great cutter last in Washington last year. So that, that and I think Jackie point. Young could be a good cutter as well if you utilize like that because we we've seen how how easily she can just body smaller players at the rim like that. So any way you can kind of get her the basketball down there, I think she'll benefit from. I agree. I'd like to yeah, I want to see more of it. Uh, Alicia Clark, their other big free agent, was not the same player in 2022 as she was in her Seattle days, but. She wasn't a bad player either. Like she, she did positive things. She made Washington better, did a lot of things very well. She was over sixty percent from two. Really, you know, she didn't hit the three last year as well as we can come to expect from her. And I think she's not quite a four position defender anymore the way she was in her prime. Do you think that's fair to say? Do you think she's kind of lost that step just guarding it's like fair. the most explosive guards? Um, yeah, it's fair. Like I, I wouldn't trust her guarding like the most explosive players on the perimeter anymore, and that's okay. Because I, th- I think she's still got the defensive basketball IQ and the smarts and, and just the fundamentals to compensate for that. But what is her role? Like, if she's going to be backing up Jackie Young, which I would assume that's going to be the case, she's going to get matched up out there eventually, right? Because as if there's one thing this team doesn't really have, it's like, I mean, Jackie Young is good on defense, but they don't really have that defensive stopper. So if they signed Alicia Clark to be that defensive stopper, I might be a little hesitant about that. Just because, you know, I mean, she's, like you said, last year she wasn't really herself. Still good, still a good player, but she wasn't playing at, you know, defensive player of the year caliber. She's coming off a foot injury. She's, what is she, 35 years old now? I mean, there are reasons to expect that she's not going to get back to the level she was once at. Yeah, I think, you know, she can still defend most wings capably. She handles switches well on bigger players, I think, still very well. She's a very positive help defender. It's just, you know, out on the perimeter, she used to be able to guard ones, and I, I wouldn't really want her to guard ones anymore. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I do have to think that the shooting will come back around. She was 30% last year. That was just her second season since 2015, under 35%. Like, she's a very reliable three-point shooter usually. She's, you know, small sample size alert, but she's shooting it pretty well in, in Israel uh, in just a few games over there. And she's going to be playing with much better playmaking this year than she did last year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, she was one of the better offensive players on that team last year. And, you know, she's Alicia Clark. She's a good player, but she shouldn't be one of your better offensive players. Even if she's not Seattle Storm Alicia Clark, you know, she's just the same player she was last year. This this is still a really good addition, but there's no chance that she, like, closes games for this team, right? I, like, who would she be playing over? I mean, she was in a graphic over Jackie Young or on a T-shirt. Oh, that is true. That is true. Was, but, was that I mean, Alicia? It, it was somebody. It was very disrespectful. <laughs> I, I don't think that she'll... She will be closing games for this team. Barring no, I, I agree with that. 
And then George, we talked about, you know, is a stretch five, a one position player of, of good track record in non WNBA competitions uh, with the mixed results in her time over here. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I guess a couple other questions I have about this team and the rotation. Like, are we going to see Jackie Young play guard at all alongside Alicia Clark? Last year, they basically had one wing off the bench in Raquana Williams. It was either Raquana playing for one of Chelsea or Kelsey Plum, or it was three guard lineups with Jackie Young off the court. So are are both of those two players just one position players? It's just going to be Jackie Young or, or Alicia Clark as the three at all times, or Clark, is she going to slide down to the four? Is Jackie going to play more of, of a guard role? Uh, I think that'll be interesting. I think at see. this stage in her career, I think... I think Alicia Clark would be better at the four, to be honest. I I would like to see it. I mean, I think it would it would probably be better than you know one of their backup centers, but I don't know. They I mean they also do need they need her to play three at least some of the time. I think probably exactly yeah no for sure. And then like, are we going to see any competitive minutes with Plum and Gray on the bench? I, I would guess you know one of one of those two players will be on the court at all times. One of Asia and Candice will be on the court at all times, but maybe with a little bit more guard depth and honestly as i'll get to a little bit of a weaker league around them maybe you know jackie young plays some point guard and you know they get a little bit more rest time for plum and gray with jackie as a lead initiator i don't really think that she's that level of lead initiator where you can kind of run through her but i'd like to see him try in the regular season it's a long season (laughs) you know they have plenty of time okay um you want to kind of wrap this up with uh, strengths and weaknesses yeah sure strengths Three-level scoring, they just have multiple players that can do it from every level at an extremely high level. Uh, we, we talked about all of them. Um, but, like, what other team has a legit four players that can score from all three levels? At None. Extra- no, no. They just have, you know, shot-making. Does any team have, have even three players who can do that? Probably. I don't think so. Like, the, the level of just, like, getting a bucket against the very best defenses in really tough situations, you know, it's it's pretty unmatched. Um, obviously they're going to be a monster transition team. They have the, the mindset, they have the athletes, but they also have two of the best outlet passers in the league in Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray. Just like last year, they're going to have 40 minutes of, of good lead initiating, good playmaking from the point guard spot because they can stagger their point guards. Also maybe unmatched. Maybe like New York is obviously <laughs> going to be pretty special with Vandersloot and UNESCO, but there's not nearly as much of that at the three. Or at the five. And also, I mean, I just kind of think that Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum together are, are better than Vandersloot and Unesco. Yeah, they, they complement each other better, yeah. I think they can just drive offense, you know, whichever one of them is the the second best, uh, I guess, lead initiator can do that at a higher level than Sabrina can at this point, at least from what we've seen so far. You know, passing, I think basically four of their five starters are high value passers for their position and Asia the fifth one has really grown in that area as well like she's she's a good passer maybe not a premium passer for her position but a good passer Alicia Clark is a very good passer for her lower usage role Kayla George is a pretty good passing big they might not be in the upper echelon in the league in just like overall assist percentage because they just have so many amazing self-creators but like this I, I still think like you you have to say that passing is a strength they have multiple value added passers up and down the roster and, and plus passers basically pretty much everywhere almost except for you know a couple of rotation spots how about free throw rate i mean they're still gonna be really good at that yeah i mean they're basically always gonna get to the line i think whenever they have asia and kelsey plum those two players i think basically are all you need to get to the top four yeah, and they really are yeah uh, but then they also you know have jackie young who's a, a good free throw player they'll be number one or two probably um, defensive rebounding, they were number one in defensive rebounding last year, and they added Candace Parker, who I think is a very positive player on the defensive glass, even if her days of leading the league in rebounding are over. Like, she's just, she's going to put a body on you. She's going to box out. She's, yeah, I, I think, agree. A, a good player there. And like I said, they they improved their depth a lot. I, I think they have a real eight-player rotation now. We'll see. Maybe they'll play more than that. I don't think they, they probably should. You know, I think eight is really all you need, but... You know, they they had the lowest turnover rate in the league last year. I think they'll probably turn it over a little bit more with Candace Parker on board. You know, she is a high-risk passer. She tries to thread it a lot, but they'll still be pretty good. I, I would bet they would be top four there. Anything else you had? Coaching. 
I mean, coaching is one of those things that I think you need to evaluate on a year-by-year basis, but given what Becky Hammond showed us last season, and we already talked about it for however many minutes on this episode, but she's a, a coach who history would suggest, granted not much history, but the history that we have would suggest um, she does a good job at conforming her system to her players' talents rather than the other way around. So if you are integrating a player like Candace Parker, um, I'd love to have Becky Hammond coaching. I mean, this is a WNBA season that it's kind of presumed that there will be two sort of lead contenders, and I think the Aces have a much better coach out of the two. Uh, Any weaknesses that you can think of for this team? There aren't many. Maybe athleticism on defense. And, you know, that this this almost doesn't really matter, but I'm kind of grasping at straws here. You know, we already talked about Alicia. She's getting up there in age. Candace Parker getting up there in age. Still both very good defensive players, but... In terms of, of athleticism, probably not the most athletic players on the court anymore. And uh, Kelsey Plum, a below-average defender as well. We, we, we saw the Aces last season kind of take a, a dip in defense from where we were used to seeing them, which was top two, top three. And I think a lot of that was just because they were playing poor defenders more minutes. I don't think they're going to be a bad defensive team, though. Do you think there's any chance that adding Candace Parker makes their defense better and their offense worse? Um... I can see where you're coming from on this. Uh, no. <laughs> I think she's going to make both her offense and defense better. I mean, it's going to be... Well, here's the thing. Relatively speaking, though, like, their offense was already so good last year. So if they're, like, 0.5 points per 100 possessions worse than last season, would that would that still be... Would that be proving your point or no? Like you said, the league is going to be weaker anyway. I can see where you're coming from on this. I think if there's one thing Parker is going to take away, it's going to be pace depending on how much they play through her. Yeah, that that's true. Obviously, you know, she, uh, your favorite word, Eric Pace, uh, but I mean, she, yeah, she'll she add to their yeah. pace and she'll, she'll add to their pace and transition and kind of take away from it in the half court, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, they never forced any turnovers. You know, I think they'll be fine, but they, they just never have. And they, uh, there's no reason to think they'll start doing it now. I could see, you know, overpassing being a, a little bit of a problem, trying to just like acclimate to, you know, adding another superstar player, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, uh, you know, you can maybe turn down some good shots. I, I don't think it'll be a 40 game problem, but it might be a 10 game problem. You know what I mean? Like early on to start the season. <laughs> That's pretty much it, man. They're, they're going to be good. Yeah, they're going to be really good. It's, it, it's kind of interesting that we start with this team because I think, would you agree that this is on paper, the best team in the league? Yeah, I think so. I think they're like, they're the best team in the league last season. They got better. Most of the league got worse it's pretty difficult to find like obviously the season hasn't even started yet but if they repeat this season i i wouldn't be shocked at all i mean so we'll get to new york when we get to them i think you know you could make a case that new york has a better set of star bigs at this point and vegas has better guards and you know i just think elite guard play is what really is going to win you titles we saw i mean we saw literally that in the playoffs last season the reason why the Aces were so difficult to beat was, yeah, they had the league MVP, but it's they were able to surround her with three high-level initiators, which simply no other team could match. And they're still there. So, um, A couple, I guess, last couple of things that, that I want to say. They are considerably older than last year. You know, their core four best players from last year are all still in their prime, but Candace Parker will be 37 by the time the season starts, second oldest player in the league, you know, a player we had as the fifth best player in the league, Eric, last year before the playoffs started. But, you know, father time is undefeated, as they say. That's true. Uh, Alicia Clark, as you mentioned, will be 35 this year. Like she just there's a chance, I think, that she might not be able to do the things they need her to do at the level they need her to do it, especially if she's playing the four. But, you know, even if she's playing the three, Kayla George will be 34 by the time the season starts and might be there primary backup big she's four years older than kia stokes whose place she might be replacing in the rotation raquana williams 33 dealing with injuries last year missed a considerable amount of time so you know they i could see a little bit of downside potential with sort of the the five through eight spots in their roster but you know one through four might be so good that it just doesn't matter like last year basically um you know what I'm wondering if they don't just like put Parker on a load management plan just to keep her fresh for the playoffs. Cause I mean, you know, this is probably going to be her last season, right? You're not going to risk her getting injured or react. Cause I mean, remember she's been dealing with 
a bum lower back for how many years now? To me, it's it's a miracle that she's still been able to play at the level that she's been playing at in Chicago. But like, is she is the possibility of her just taking a few games off here and there just for rest purposes? That's that's got to be in play, right? I mean, and every team in the the league is going to be dealing with back to backs. That the Aces included. Yeah, you've in got the increased schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, with with the level of high end perimeter talent this team has, and what you just said, um, I, I think I would agree that I I would just you know rest Candace Parker occasionally, not play her super heavy minutes. Like this is a team where I don't really mind them carrying. She doesn't need to play. That's the she, thing. She doesn't need to play. Um, she you know she's here for the playoff. Yeah, I agree. I think you know they'll they'll probably take it as easy as she lets them anything else about the las vegas aces i think we uh covered it pretty comprehensively they were really good last year they're gonna be really good this year to be honest i'm expecting another championship a lot of exciting things going on over in new york but um the aces are proven and uh they you could only say that they got better this past offseason so yeah really good team yeah good team um thank you all so much for listening if you want to support the show um you can do so by following rating and reviewing on apple spotify and google podcasts you can follow the show on twitter at double down wmba you can follow eric at nemchok e or myself at trinkwald and we will be back soon with the connecticut sun eric is that what we decided yes the connecticut sun thank you again everybody take care uh we'll talk to you soon